I wanted to get into the sports industry and I never had a lane in mind. It was never, oh, I'm going to work in basketball. Oh, I'm going to work in the NFL. I knew that I wanted to work in sports and they knew that because of where I'm from, there weren't many opportunities for me to work in professional sports like I want to. So they knew that I had to keep my eyes open and keep my options open so that I can make it to where I was trying to go. And while golf wasn't on my radar growing up, it's a lot of fun talking to the kids at the tournaments, talking to their parents, building those relationships. It's, it's humbling because they teach me stuff. And you would think that me being the older one out there, as far as the kids are concerned at least, that it would be the other way around. But I like what the golf industry is offering me right now. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thank you for joining us. And remember to hit the subscribe button on either iTunes or our show page at www.mod.golf so that you'll never miss the latest engaging story with my amazing guests. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today we're stretching our wings on the Mod Golf Podcast and trying something new. Rather than just a one-on-one interview, I have the pleasure of a conversation with two guests at once. Joining me today are Rachel Maybe and Tajma Brown from PGA Works, where Rachel is the program specialist and Tajma is a fellowship intern working with the Middle Atlantic PGA of America. Rachel, Tajma, thank you for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you for having us. Great to have you both here. So, hey, Rachel, let's start with you. Can you please explain to our listeners what is both PGA Reach and PGA Works and how you became involved as the program specialist? Sure. Um, First of all, thank you for having me today. PGA Reach is actually the philanthropic arm of the PGA of America. And PGA Works is the flagship program that lives under our three pillars under PGA Reach, which is our DNI pillar. Our fellowship is now the flagship program under that DNI pillar and what we have branded as PGA Works. The fellowship right now, and it's something that I'd, I'd really like to have a little bit of background. My upbringing is I've played golf my whole life. Now I work in the industry and me as a person of color, as a woman of color, I have personally experienced the headwinds that come along with being in this industry. So I take special note when it comes to a program like this. Listen, the world around us is changing and changing rapidly. And we, as an association, as a PGA of America, really need to reflect what that new demographic composition of modern day America looks like to stay relevant, to stay sustainable. But we also know that in order for this to happen, there has to be intent and intentional programming behind that. And that's where the fellowship really comes into play. Representation really matters in this industry. And in order to attract and engage those from diverse backgrounds, we really need to have people that look like them. The fellowship is a paid year-long opportunity within our PGA section offices across the country. It's fully funded by PGA Reach. And we, we know that there is no better place for our fellows to gain that valuable insight to all aspects of the golf industry than at our sections. So we've strategically designed it where that's where the experience is going to be for our fellows. It's something to be had uh, as our sections touch so many different aspects from event planning to, to admin to communications and marketing. So we know that's the best place for our fellows to gain that experience. A really great design with the fellowship as well is that 
we've also recognized that in order to capture a lot of the diverse talent, it's at the entry level. And the fellowship is, again, strategically designed to be an entry-level opportunity. And eventually, we really want it to be the most valuable entry-level opportunity for anyone from diverse backgrounds wanting to gain insight into the industry. And past that, Colin, while it's an entry-level position, we also want to take the opportunity to mentor a lot of our fellows to ascend into key positions in the industry and have those key decisions, to have that seat at the proverbial table, if you will. So I really take pride and an interest in, in sort of the development of this program. Well, thanks for the background there. I think that gives us a great overview of the mandate of PGA Works here. And you talked about actionable. We talked about doing things where where the rubber hits the road, not just talking about it, but actually doing that. And this brings us to the fellowship, which brings us to you, Tajma. So Tajma, can you tell us about what you've been up to for the last year as the intern fellow with the Middle Atlantic PGA? So as you stated before, I've been with the section for about a year now. I've been with them since May. And my roles have all centered around the junior golf department. I've helped with tournaments. I've helped a lot with the communication sides as far as press releases for about the section for the PGA magazine or press releases on our tournaments, helping with social media. I've even got a bit of design work under my belt. Also, I've helped with, I've worked with our assistant executive director and he runs our sponsorships and our finances. And once a month, I help him gather the information on that. And also we had a Hall of Fame banquet recently in our office. So I was able to help our membership director get a few things together for that. So I got to step outside of the junior golf department a little. So it's been pretty fun. Now, Tajma, sticking with you, I did have the chance to talk to you the other day. I find it quite interesting. Unlike Rachel, you do not have a golf background at all, whereas you have quite a sports background. Can you tell us about that, of how you went from not knowing really anything about golf or having any interest in it to now you're looking to make a career in the golf industry? So like you said, I didn't have a background in golf. I never picked up a golf club. I rarely watched it on TV, but... The first thing my coworkers did when I got to the office was give me a set of used golf clubs. And they told me, we're going to get you out on the course. However, my mentors were amazing. And one of them in particular, he had some great connections and he loved the work that I was doing and he loved what I represented. So when it came time for me to try to find a job, he helped put my resume out there. And one of those people was to Sandy Cross. She liked what she saw, and she sent my resume over to my former boss in the Middle Atlantic section office, and he emailed me and asked me to apply for the fellowship. I sent my application in. I had my interview, and the very next day, I got offered the position, and I accepted it, and it's been great. I love this opportunity. That's amazing. Now, and your background educationally, you actually have a sports management background. Is that correct? It sounds like you had lots of other options. You've done some work with the NBA and minor league baseball. Is that correct also? That is correct. So while I was an undergrad, I did my undergrad degree at Hampton University and I earned my sport management degree there. And I earned my master's degree in sport management from West Virginia University. So while I was in school, I had to fulfill a couple of internship roles, and I was able to intern with the Philadelphia 76ers in their marketing department, and I was also able to work game day with the Wilmington Blue Rocks. And while I was in school, I got to work with our athletic marketing department, and fortunately, during my time at Hampton, I worked with the athletic marketing department, so I have some Division One sports underneath my belt as well. Fantastic. From what you've mentioned to me, now that you've had less than one year's exposure to the golf industry, 
You finish up in May with your 12-month internship, is that correct, with the fellowship? Yes, so I finish in May. However, they were impressed with the work that I've done throughout this almost year, and they offered me an internship for the summer in our junior golf department. So I'll be continuing on with them throughout the summer. That is awesome. Congratulations on that. That's fantastic. Thank you. Good stuff. So, hey, Rachel, I want, want to pass it back over to you. Could you give us kind of a kind of a step back and a bigger picture here of all the, it's my understanding with the PGA, there's 41 sections in the U.S. Did I get a number right there? Yes, you did. That is correct. There we go. So you can tell us, of course, with Taj being an example of one section, how many sections are involved and, and what is the rollout here and the mandate here, even over in 2018 and beyond from what you can actually see with PGA Works? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, we have 41 sections. We launched this program actually just last year and Tajma being one of our pioneers, if you will, within the program. And we launched it in three of our sections, in our Middle Atlantic section, our Carolina section, and then our New Jersey section. And we strategically also placed those in those particular sections. We leveraged our championship markets where our spectator championships were being held, our senior PGA championship and our PGA championship. That was in order to really enhance the fellowship experience because, again, in its infancy, we really wanted to make a big splash. And with that kind of experience to have them eventually be ambassadors and really talk about their fellowship experience within the sections. And I think it's pretty cool to be involved with those spectator championships. In 2018, our goal is to have 10 of our sections be involved. And this is all contingent on funding. We're up to nine right now. We're very, very optimistic that we will have 10. But listen, the eventual goal is to have all 41 of our sections participate. We feel, again, very optimistic about that. Everything, as you know, on the philanthropic side is contingent on funding. But we've had some really great conversations and and we're, again, very optimistic about that goal happening. Got it. Now, with your funding here, what you can tell us as a nonprofit that you have, the $70 billion a year golf industry has to see the value. And I know already if they get it, they understand the value, the long-term sustainable value for the industry to become more diverse and more inclusive. Is there support financially from the corporate side to help you move forward with this? Or is that even something to consider? It is something to consider. Listen, Colin, sometimes I know the limits of my intellect and fundraising is definitely not my my forte. Uh, (laughs) We have a dedicated staff person that does handle all of our funding. And yes, there is interest from people as well as corporations. Our trustees, a lot of them have an interest in what we're doing. Of course they do, or they wouldn't be involved. But we have had conversations from a single person to corporations, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it's not just a thing. It's not just a trend to have a DNI, a strategy. It is a real thing. It's a business case. I mean, there is a share of wallet that every brand has to have. And I think the last stat that I had read that amongst the Black Americans, Latino Americans, and Asian Americans, they have a combined spending power of like $13.1 billion. And if you don't have any type of sustainable strategy, you're going to get left behind. And as an association, we completely recognize that. And, And it's a true commitment from the PJ of America through this type of intentional programming that we will have that type of relevancy due to these efforts. Yes. And the conversations I have had on previous episodes with Sandy Cross, who mentioned earlier there, who's the senior director of the PJ of Diversity and Inclusion, and mm-hmm. also Steve Mona, who's a great supporter yep. of what you do there with World Golf Foundation. They are walking the same walk here with you and they, yeah. they see it. And I look at this as this tide is rising here and you got a lot of boats that are being lifted and you guys are the, are the ones that are lifting them. It's exciting to know that you guys are just at the beginning of this journey here mm-hmm. and this is the direction that it's going to go. And it's, it's exciting stuff. No, I- appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. 
So Taj Mahal wanted to turn back to you. So I was watching a video that was done profiling you, which I will include in the show notes so our listeners can watch that. And I love one of the quotes from one of the mentors, one of the senior leaders that you're working with in the Middle Atlantic section there. And the quote was, we always had our minds stuck in the notion that we need to hire someone with golf experience. But if the person is the right person, we can teach the bogeys and the birdies and the shotgun starts. Sounds like Tajma, you certainly fall into that, that you really didn't know the difference between a birdie and a bogey before you applied for this position here. So with that, I want to ask the question, what have you learned in the last 10 months that's been the biggest surprise that you didn't even know existed as a skill you could learn or something that you're really proud of over that period? So like you said, I knew nothing about golf going in. Prior to me starting my fellowship, they sent me a beginners in golf book and it helped me learn a little bit about the terminologies that I would hear while I was on the course. A birdie, a bogey, an eagle. So I know what those things are now, which is a plus considering I work tournaments. All I knew about going into golf was that you swung the club and you wanted to try to get the ball inside of the hole, but I didn't know how much work went into your actual game. So it's a lot of fun watching. I enjoy watching a lot more now that I know what goes into it and what's actually going on than I did prior to me starting the fellowship. So I haven't picked up a club yet. Like I said before, my first day in the office, they gave me a set of golf clubs, which I still have yet to use. However, we had a top golf tournament this summer and I was standing next to the kids and I wanted to play, but they were way better than me and I was embarrassed. <laughs> they don't want to embarrass myself too much, but my coworkers, they encouraged me to pick up the club and give it a go because Top Golf was, it was all fun. At least it was supposed to be. And they gave me some pointers. My boss gave me a really good pointer that I actually tried out with one of the kids during a tournament. He told me if you reach back with the club, like you're shaking your hand, then it kind of helps you with the motion. And once he showed me that, I was actually able to drive the ball farther than just right underneath of the oh top golf left. So I was very excited. Well, I love that you had the experience where people were helping you and removing that intimidation factor. So you felt welcome. And once again, that's a recurring theme I hear on the podcast, whether it's with Sandy Cross and the conversations or also with Alyssa Godet, who you're probably familiar with, with Women's Golf Day and what they're doing for the third year on June 5th. And, you know, being a middle-aged white guy, I have a certain, certainly a different experience from the game and also the way I socialize and the community that I'm involved with for the most part as compared to the two of you as young black females. There is that intimidation factor. Sandy's mentioned this. I saw Tajma, you mentioned it in your video also that you look around and there's not a lot of people, because Rachel, you get this too, that look like you. So I'm sure you must be very proud, both of you here as pioneers breaking through, bashing down the door here and showing other young people of color that Yes, you can do this, and this is a viable career option, and it's kind of awesome. So very proud of both of you for actually being on the forefront of this. And you must get, so let's start with you, Rachel. You must hear stories also. I'd like to hear some stories beyond the one that Tajma is sharing with us here today of other success stories and young people that are now involved in golf that never would have had that opportunity without your program. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, our other fellow out of our Carolina section, Jessica Asbury, she also did not really have a background in golf. And she has been just like Tajma, just an asset to the section. And um, they as well have brought her on to continue on through the summer because of the great work that she's done there. But it's the same story, very similar rather to what 
Tajma was saying in the sense of, I had no interest, I had no idea, but man, do I love it. I never realized that this was for me, but now I do. And now I see I can really make a viable career out of it. Programs like this, hey, I got to tell you, I wish it existed when I was coming up. I don't want to give away my age, but there was nothing like this when I was coming up. And much to Tajma, what she was saying in her video, I, it resonates with me when she said, I'm a black female, I don't exist in golf. Because those were my exact words when I was not only playing the game and now working in it. And I made a very intentional decision in my career path that if I wasn't going to make it on tour, that I wanted to be involved in the industry. But it was hard. I mean, it's, it's really difficult. And to have programs like this exist that you know, I can showcase the passion not only that I have for the game, but that they could have for the game as well is pretty cool. And it's, it's something that, again, I take a lot of pride in because, it, again, it's no secret that the workforce right now in the industry is pretty homogenous. And if we could do these, I, you've probably, I don't know if you've heard Sandy say this, micro moments of inclusion through programs like this, we're starting to make a little bit of splashes, a little bit of ripples to eventually really disrupt the status quo of the industry. And I, I'm really proud of where the fellowship's heading and very excited to change the narrative of what the industry was to what it can be. Wonderful. Tajma, I want to ask you this question. Since you are out at events, a lot of them, it sounds like, over the course of a summer, and you're going to do it again this summer, the kids that you meet, especially young Black girls, are you finding now that they see you as a role model or they perhaps see a career for them in, in golf? I know it's early to decide a career, but maybe even growing their fondness or affinity for the game at whatever level, whether that's the workforce or even playing recreationally. What are you seeing out there, the conversations, Tajma, that you're having when you're at these tournaments? So I actually had a parent and her daughter come talk to me at a tournament. They asked about me because they saw me on the course and they wanted to know, okay, who's this black girl that we have out here helping us on the tournament? My coworkers told them who I was and they gave them an update on my story. So they asked me about my experience working in the golf industry. And they also asked me about my experience going to a HBCU and how I felt it prepared me for what I'm doing today. And with programs like this, we don't really hear about them, but I feel like if the word got out to students like me at these HBCUs, then the PGA, they would be so impressed by the caliber of students that they get because we thrive and we strive. And that's what I wanted to tell the girl about because she was really excited about possibly going to a HBCU. She doesn't know if she wants to work in the golf industry, but she's very excited about playing golf. And I like to think that seeing me out there was exciting for her. At least I feel that way because she wanted to talk to me and her mom thanked me. So I was really excited about having that opportunity because I like having people look up to me. It makes me feel good. It makes me know that I'm making a difference. So I haven't picked up a golf club. And though when I started, I didn't really know much. I've learned a lot along this journey and it's been amazing. I wouldn't trade this experience for anything. I've gained a lot of skills that can help me in my future, whether it be working the golf tournaments or working at some other aspect of the golf industry, I'm able to round myself out a little bit more. And with the many conversations about what I've done, I'm very proud of this program and where it's trying to go. That's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that, Tajma. I just want to ask you this. How about your parents or your, your friends or your former college classmates? Are any of them now looking at this? Or what, what do they think about this? Let's say your parents, what do they think about you being in the golf industry or even your desire to take on this fellowship? Were they a little surprised that you wanted to go this route? What was their feedback? 
My parents are always encouraging me in anything that I do. They always have my back and they always offer me their words of support. They were aware that I wanted to get into the sports industry and I never had a lane in mind. It was never, oh, I'm going to work in basketball. Oh, I'm going to work in the NFL. I knew that I wanted to work in sports and they knew that because of where I'm from, there weren't many opportunities for me to work in professional sports like I want to. So they knew that I had to keep my eyes open and keep my options open so that I can make it to where I was trying to go. My mom, she has been amazing. And I've basically been in Virginia since I've graduated high school. So they are, they've gotten used to me not being too close to home, but Working with Middle Atlantic section, I'm only two and a half hours away, so I get to go home when I want to and get to see everybody. And while golf wasn't on my radar growing up, it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Talking to the kids at the tournaments, talking to their parents, building those relationships, it's, it's humbling because they teach me stuff. And you would think that me being the older one out there, as far as the kids are concerned at least, that it would be the other way around, but... I like what the golf industry is offering me right now. So while golf wasn't on their radar either, I grew up in a house full of basketball fans and football fans. My dad is a huge Eagles fan. My mom is a huge Ravens fan, and she was sad that I didn't join her side. Go Eagles. But when I got the golf fellowship, it was like, okay, golf. All right, well, let's see how that goes. That's interesting. But, you know, let's see where it takes you. Let's see how far you can go with it. And we went from there. Well, hey, it looks like you have to get both your parents or at least your mother out to a Top Golf in the next little while to see. <laughs> We've actually talked about it after the Top Golf event that I had. She was really excited. I explained it to her like I was explained. Top Golf is basically the bowling alley of the golf industry. So she's always willing to try anything once. And, it would be a lot of fun to go out there with her and experience that together. There you go. All right. Or get her out. I'm going to give a plug for my friend Elisa here. I think it would make perfect sense to have her join you on June 5th at a participating golf club for Women's Golf Day. There you go. Seriously, that would be perfect for what they're actually doing. It would, who knows, would be a great opportunity. So Rachel, I want to switch back to you here. So your background has been in golf. You did touch on that, that you had aspirations to be on the LPGA, it sounds like, and, so, and you kind of worked your way through that. Now, your background also is in, as far as other sports, as a young athlete. So can you tell us a bit about your, your background there also as far as school and how you've kind of arrived here with your professional and personal journey? Yeah, so I unfortunately cannot claim any other sport than golf. Uh, I often kid that I think I came out of the womb with a golf club in my hand. It's just something my my father loved to do, and he unfortunately just passed, but I used to always kid around with him. I'm the youngest of two, and we're 11 years apart, and I always kid around that I think he tried golf with the boy, and it never took, and he once I came along, I think he was like, oh, screw it, I'll try it with the girl, and <laughs> it just stuck, and that's been a true bond between us. He's been been my one and only teacher my whole life, my biggest fan, my, again, my biggest cheerleader. He was truly was the impetus behind me really getting involved in golf. And he and I always knew that if I didn't make it on tour, I was fortunate enough to go to college, to play golf, 
myself. I tried for a good minute to try on the on the tour, but it's a grind. And I just made the, again, this intentional decision that if I don't make it, I have to be involved in it in some way, shape or form. I, I, my calling is to, to be in golf. It is a personal calling for me. It wasn't right out of college that my calling was fulfilled. I did a little bit of marketing and communications for a boutique firm out of Atlanta, Georgia. But again, golf came a calling and I worked for a nonprofit for the first tee of Eastlake in Atlanta, Georgia and the Eastlake Foundation. And then subsequently worked for uh, Ryan Cannon, who's our senior director for PGA Reach on the championship side of things. So I actually was involved with him on our spectator championships. Again, I, I just fell in love with the association and a lot of what they're doing. And when he came on board on the PGA Reach side and told me about this program, again, I keep using that word calling. It was definitely my calling because I really wanted to share my story and what I went through, again, as a woman of color coming up and playing and now working in the industry, that there are people that look like them out there. It's not touted enough. And I don't think it's I don't want to use the word recognized because I don't think I need to be recognized. But, you know, I want people like Tajma to know that there are people out there that look like them and, and are succeeding in the industry. And again, I take a very personal investment when it comes to the execution of this particular program. And the exciting thing is there's lots of different groups and different people that are mobilizing the African-American community here to expose them to golf. Someone I consider a friend now is Clemmy Perry. You may know her out of Tampa with yeah. golf. She is amazing. And the work that she's doing down there as an entrepreneur and a community builder just announced that they've actually scaled this up this year to actually have three venues from one. So they're getting some traction. So even taking that model and applying that across the country and using what you're doing as that connective tissue for people like Clemmy and, and Women of Color Golf and Black Girls Golf and other organizations, I think it's really exciting. Also, the work that Dr. Michael Cooper is doing and the support that he's providing, had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago too. It's, it's fantastic. And then overarching, of course, having Sandy Cross. Right. So not only supporting the African-American community, as you touched on there, as far as the Latino community and LBGTQ community, then you're also through PGA Hope. Perhaps I don't know how much you're involved with that, but perhaps you can touch on that for a moment here with what's going on with the veterans and the support there to improve the quality of their life through mm -hmm. PGA Hope. Can you tell us a bit about that, Rachel? I'm not really involved with PGA Hope that much. I do know Chris Nowak, who is our representative for that program, is doing instrumental things and really impactful things through that program, really engaging our sections with developing Hope programs. And again, he uses this phrase a lot, and so I'm going to steal it from him. So Chris, if you're out there, I'm stealing it from he talks about the moments in time that PGA Hope and those 18 holes of golf really capture. That's your moment. That's your moment in time. You've forgotten about the PTSD. You've forgotten about what you experienced overseas. And you're only focused on that little white ball that just taunts you and teases you ever so well, they, it does. <laughs> but you tend to forget about that. And those moments in time now are focused on something better to rehabilitate mind, body, and soul, if you will. And, and I think there's no better way to put it than when he talks about the moments in time. And that's, that's where PGA Hope has been so instrumental with a lot of our veterans. And to be honest with you, I've talked to Chris about even scaling the fellowships to have a veteran component to it because the dimensions of diversity span across well, different dimensions. And veteran status is one of those. And golf, not for only from a rehabilitation standpoint, playing the game can impact it, but also for working in the industry, it gives them purpose. 
it gives meaning again. So there's ways to scale up this program, but we know that for it to eventually scale up, we want to make sure that we are really executing it correctly how it is now. And having this fellowship, again, at that entry level is going to really tee it up for success, no pun intended there, to again, scale it into our either our other programs, into different areas, maybe non-collegiate graduates, because right now the fellowship is geared towards college graduates. And we also recognize that sometimes that's not the path that some go down, and that shouldn't be a reason that we don't target those different demographics for a career in the golf industry. Yes. Well, hey, I put you on the spot there and got you out of your lane a little bit, but you you answered that one very, very well. So I'm sure PJ, <laughs> PJ I... Hope thanks you for that one. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> hope I made Chris proud there. Good stuff. So switching back to PGA Works here. So Tajma, I want to ask you, now that you're finishing up your year and you've been extended for the summer, sounds like you really have the desire to find a long-term career in the golf industry. Where do you see yourself or what aspirations? If, let's say we have a conversation five years from now on the Mod Golf podcast. What do you hope to be doing at that time? What's your hopes and dreams there? I was asked that same question on the application for this fellowship. And my response was, I hope to be working with the task force to help diversify and bring more women into the game of golf. And that still holds true today. That program exists. That workforce is PGA Works. And I would love to work alongside somebody like Rachel and help get the awareness out about this program because it can help and it will change the way people look at the golf industry. When you look at me, you don't think that I work in golf, but I'm here. And it's because of this program that I am thriving within the PGA. My face is kind of everywhere right now. And I'm proud that I have the opportunity to work with this program and to help it be as successful as it is. And I would love to continue on with that if I have the opportunity to five years from now. So, yeah, I think I'll go with that. Well, it sounds like, Rachel, you should be expecting Tajma's resume in your inbox about <laughs> 10 minutes after we finish this podcast recording for uh, for that job position that she just created. I know. So there you go. I know. So, uh, exactly. We know what you're going to be doing. At that. I like it. No, I like it. Like uh, hey, as we finish up here, Rachel, can I can I ask you, I did touch on this earlier, but perhaps you can let us know again what the rollout is for 2018. You are, it looks like you are approaching this. The rollout of PJ works like a startup in a way. You're keeping it you know, minimal viable product. You're not trying to do everything at once. You're doing a few things, having them work right. And it sounds like what you have going on with Tajma, things are working out very, very right. And then using that to scale this up. So can you once again, just let us know or expand on what the plan is for 2018 and beyond for PGA Works? Yeah, absolutely. So really the plan, as I stated earlier, the eventual goal is absolutely to have all 41 of our sections have a fellow and participate in this program. And of course, contingent on funding. For 2018, for our short-term goal, we want to have 10 of our sections participate and we're well on our way to achieving that goal. And really with the past fellows that we have, such as Tajma, they are our true ambassadors. They are our true people that are going to get the word out. You know, I can only do so much, but when I have true testimonials and such an asset like Tajma and the wonderful work that she's doing, she's a true ambassador for the program. So we do have fellowships available right now, actually, in a few of our sections. We have a Southern Florida PGA section, a Connecticut section available, as well as a Southern Ohio PGA section available. And all of those are, you can find those uh, online on pjreach.org. And if you just click on the PJ Works tab, there is a link to those applications and to those job ads. And really, 
again, we're just, we're here to change the narrative of what the industry looks like. And I have to say, I, I listen, I'd be honored to have Tajma help me when it comes to the execution of this program, because it, I can't emphasize it enough that it is her voice and her testimonial and truly what she went to that is going to be what's going to drive the program forward and really talking about her experience within the program. All right. Wonderful stuff. So one last thing, I know that you're passionate and committed public relations people are now putting in place a social media strategy and platform for you. So can you also share with our listeners where people can find out more about PGA Works and PGA Reach on social media? Yeah. So the, again, the best place to see all of that is on pjreach.org. We have links to our social channels, to the actual job ads. You can get more information about all of our pillars, including PGA Hope and PGA Junior League. And of course, for PGA Works and the PGA Works Fellowship. So the best place for your one-stop shop is going to be pgareach.org. There we go. I will make sure to include that link in the show notes so all of our listeners here can find you very easily, although you've laid it out very, very clearly and easily for them there. I'd like to wrap this up now because this has been a fantastic conversation and I'm, I'm so happy that this has worked out for all three of us having a conversation at once here. So I want to say for uh, Tajma Brown and Rachel Maybe, thank you so much for spending the time in the Mod Golf podcast today. This has been very educational for me and very enlightening and very inspirational. So thank you for the work that you are both doing. And I'm excited for 2018 and beyond for PGA Reach and PGA Works. Thank you, Colin. Hey, thank you very much for having me here, Colin. I really appreciate it. And thank you. You too. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. You too. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Mod Golf Podcast with Rachel Maybe and Tajma Brown from the PGA Works Fellowship Program. As Rachel mentioned earlier, if you are or know someone like Tajma, who is a recent college graduate with a passion for sports, there is still time to apply for the 2018 PGA Works Fellowship positions. Go to www.pgareach.org to apply now. Join me again next week when I speak with Dave Cavosa, founder and CEO of Caddy Now. Dave shares with us how they are enabling technology to reimagine a golf tradition and capture an underrepresented workforce segment, high school teenagers. I had the benefit, Colin, of coming into golf and having no golf industry experience whatsoever other than being a passionate golfer and loving caddies. So I didn't know the 150 reasons why this wouldn't work. And I was told those 150 reasons on a regular basis by people from the golf industry. Uh, I wish it for everyone that you can have the ignorance that I had coming in because it just allows you to push forward and say, no, I know the right way to do this. I can see it. I think the golf industry is slowly coming to the same realization that I had several years ago. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast, you can find more engaging stories about the future of golf on our episodes page. You can also find all of our previous Mod Golf Podcast episodes on iTunes and Spotify. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to you listening again soon. Bye for now.